0: Hello, America, and welcome to the Friday edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Yes, we're going to make it to another weekend. How lucky are we? Are you going to get those Kansas City steaks on the grill? I am. But first, got to get some work done here in the Freedom Home Studios here in Washington, D.C. at Just the News headquarters. In a few minutes, we're going to be talking to Congressman Lee Zeldin about the burgeoning scandal in New York involving Governor Andrew Cuomo. Already determined by the Attorney General, a Democrat by the way, that Andrew Cuomo has violated state and federal laws by sexually harassing, inappropriately touching, potentially sexually assaulting women in New York. And today there was a big moment. One of those women named in the report filed a formal criminal complaint asking police to charge Andrew Cuomo with a crime. The effort to push Andrew Cuomo out of office is underway these women are going to seek justice in the criminal court system based on the evidence that Attorney General Letitia James put out there. And separately, the Assembly is closing up its impeachment proceedings. It could very well have a vote soon on whether to remove Andrew Comer to office. That would trigger a trial in the Senate. And of course, we had Senator Ort here yesterday to talk about what that involves. But Lee Zeldin is important. He's not only a Congressman from New York, he is a declared candidate for governor in 2022. He'll either be running against Andrew Cuomo or if Andrew Cuomo is removed from office or resigns from office, as some are calling, he will be running against Andrew Cuomo's successor. Great opportunity to talk to someone on the front lines of one of the biggest scandals in America right now, the Andrew Cuomo sexual harassment scandal in New York. And let's not forget about nursing homes because while he was allegedly harassing women, His administration was sending sick COVID patients, which lit up the nursing homes of New York with disease and led to many, many deaths. Both of those are very important. We're going to talk to Congressman Zeldin about all of that. Plus, I have a funny feeling or two, he'll probably talk about that border. That's a crisis too. COVID is spreading across the border. The Biden administration is doing to the border states what Andrew Cuomo did to his nursing homes, releasing COVID-positive patients into an environment where they can spread it and sicken more people. That's bad news, and we're going to talk all about that with the congressman. Then, what a great way to go in the weekend. Ben Shapiro's in the house today. Ready for that? Ben Shapiro, the great conservative thought leader, the great journalist, the great author, and the reason he's here is he has a brand new, and I say must-read book, The Authoritarian Moment, How the Left weaponized America's institutions against dissent think about that what has been going on in America is the left is trying to silence anyone who doesn't agree with them including conservative centrist independents this morning we had a story about a Rhode Island mom all she wants is a copy of the lessons that her teachers were teaching her children in Rhode Island schools and guess what she got sued by the teachers union saying you're not entitled to have that I'm sorry she's a taxpayer it's her child she's darn right entitled to have it we had that story on here well that's the sort of authoritarian censorship a crushing of dissent that our good friend Ben Shapiro is talking about it is a great book it really is it chronicles the media Hollywood political institutions government institutions all working together to have the impact he talks about the fake news uh, One of my important things, the radicalization of Hollywood and and the entertainment. And he has a term that I think, you know, beyond destroying dissenters, which we know what that is, cancel culture, censorship, those sort of things. He also talks about it creeping into business, which had stayed out of politics for most of America's first 200 years, but now isn't. Business experts, media, Hollywood, entertainment, science, big science, big government, captures it all big education the universities in america what they're doing it is a remarkable thing but then he talks about a term that at first sounds a little arcane but when you understand what he's talking about you'll understand how a small but vocal leftist group in america has hijacked the debate the systems the institutions and the censorship levers by renormalization. If 10 or 20% of people all start saying the same thing at the same time and stamping up and down, the rest of America usually folds its cards because we're too busy. We don't oppose it. And all of a sudden, their normal becomes our normal, even though that's not what we want. That is a phenomenon that the book really... Accentuates, And I just want you to hear from Ben Shapiro directly. This is a very brilliant thinker, one of the earliest victims of cancel culture and censorship. He was being targeted on college campuses and he managed to overcome that and start the counter movement to this. But it's not a winning cause yet. More people have to join the fight for free speech, for free thought, for free expression. And Ben Shapiro's book is both a rallying cry, a clarion call, and a roadmap to how those who are trying to suppress thought in America are succeeding, and how those of us who believe in free thought, free speech, free expression, free religion, how we can fight back. This is a must read, it's a great book. By the way, I started reading it last night and I couldn't put it down, I got through the whole thing. It is easy to digest, but deep stuff. You walk away saying, nah, now I know what I missed the last 10 years, God, i got to get myself in the game. i got to stop this. Great book, Ben Shapiro, coming up in a few minutes. Let's not waste any more time. Let's go right to that great commercial break we have every day. Support our sponsors. Support our advertisers. Buy their products and services because they make what we do possible here. You're going to hear from them now when we come back. First up, Congressman Lee Zeldin on the Cuomo scandal, followed by Ben Shapiro and authoritarianism in America. Cancel culture, silencing, censorship, crushing of dissent. You're gonna to wanna to hear both of them. Important interviews right after this commercial break. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest. He's been on the show many times. We're always grateful when he comes. He's uh, the great congressman from the state of New York, Congressman Lee Zeldin, and now a Republican candidate for the governorship in New York, which uh, may have a vacancy, very, maybe even sooner than the election. Congressman Zeldin, good to have you back on the show. Always great to be with you, John. Thank you what a week it has been for andrew como i mean the uh the report the defiance uh the movement towards impeachment uh as you watch and, and and see this up close and personal in new york right now what's your take on where things stand
1: governor has had a terrible week and the ag's report that came out was devastating for him and uh, the governor chooses to respond by doubling down on his attacks on his accusers, and on his investigators. And he only made things worse. A total cratering of his support during this week. Uh, Everyone calling for his resignation from the close ally of his who heads up the party to the president of the United States to a whole bunch of uh, top union allies. Uh, They all say that he should resign. The governor says he's not uh, going to resign. He won't go anywhere. So it's left next to the New York state assembly run by the democratic party to move forward with impeachment and removal. It can't happen fast enough. Simultaneously though, uh, the attorney general said that the governor had violated state and federal laws. And it seems like from the specificity that they were meeting the elements of forcible touching, just as an example of one right. of the many crimes, which is a it uh, you know, comes with a class. It's a class A misdemeanor, comes with a penalty of up to one year in prison and being listed on the sex offender registry. The attorney general said uh, you know, that their work is done here, that they weren't going to weigh in at all on the criminal aspect of it. I mean, if she wasn't going to be pursuing any prosecution herself, there should have been a criminal referral and she should be interested in it. And uh, that was kind of head scratching and the wrong move. Uh, But if this governor thinks that this is just a one-day bad news cycle, he has a whole lot more coming for him, and he's not going to survive this.
0: Yeah, you're confident of that, right, that this is a death knell for him. It's just a question of which way he goes out, right?
1: Yeah, we're not talking about a a partial cratering of support. I I can't name for you a single person who is a Democrat in Albany, a Democrat in Washington, uh, or anywhere else. I can't think of anyone with that party who is backing him up, who doesn't believe that he should resign. A a Marist poll that came out uh, the next day after this AG's report said that 59 percent of New Yorkers, that includes Democrats, 59 percent of New Yorkers believe that he should resign. And if he doesn't resign, that he should be impeached. It's hard reelect question, something like 11 or 12 percent. I don't know if I've ever seen a poll where an elected official has a hard reelect of 11 or 12%. I don't even know if de Blasio had ever achieved that kind of uh, a number, as I I think he's done.
0: Yeah, no, there seems to be a, as you said, a cratering of his support is a great way of describing it. Um, When the AG report came out, I, I sort of had a flashback moment. Now the parallels aren't exact, But there is some similarity. There's a report that basically says the law was broken and then no consequence, even though the person writing the report is in a position to impose consequence, the attorney general could easily indict or make a referral. I was almost thinking, God, this feels like James Comey on the Clinton email thing, which is lays out everything that's wrong and then says, we're not charging him. Um, What does this say when an AG finds so much wrongdoing and then doesn't take the next step to actually enforce accountability. I, I know you were frustrated by that, but, but what does this say? Is this a pattern we're beginning to see in America?
1: I think that it's a terrible example. In this case, you look at the victim impact, it's very different than the serious offenses from uh, what happened uh, with the Comey comparison. Right. And I don't want to minimize that at all. Uh, but in this case, as you're detailing a report that includes Uh, Harassment and abuse involves uh, staffers of the sitting governor. It includes a state trooper that a report that specifies details of what you are saying amounts to violations of state and federal law has to come with some type of a response of what's next. How do you do an investigation that comes up with criminal wrongdoing and then say, "Ah, well, our work here is done You know, leave it to somebody else to try to figure out what should happen next. You just said he violated the law. You're the attorney general. I think that when the attorney general is running for reelection, that she's going to end up having some issues on her hand with the way this has been handled. The the report that that, that came out on uh, uh, earlier this week was good that, you know, they put the work in. They did the interviews. They collected the evidence. They put a thorough report together. But if you're going to find a violation of criminal laws, you can't just say, you know, our our work is done here, Um, most importantly, for the victims who are paying attention, demanding, hoping for accountability and closure.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. The victims, I, mean, I get this. They get some vindication in the sense that their their allegations were found to have been true by the top law enforcement official, but there's not yet a consequence to, to Andrew Cuomo for such egregious behavior. When you, one of the things that struck out, and there's always the crime, and then in politics, there's always the cover up that follows. The, the the nexus of all the different people that were working with the governor to destroy the reputations of these accusers, who, by the way, had legitimate grievances, um, you know, a uh, Facebook executive, a gay rights activist group, uh, other people, his staff. How concerned are you about the effort to destroy the people who, you know, had the right to come forward, blow the whistle, and, and raise these questions?
1: That's a, a big problem. I mean, people who were helping the governor through the years... I mean, this is just the most recent example of it. Right. But the style of ruling by fear, of bullying, harassment, intimidation, and abuse, uh, one of the reasons why the governor is in so much trouble is that when you rule by fear and people don't fear you anymore, then you're going to start seeing a, a collapse of a house of cards of support. Yeah. And he had people who were assisting him with the, these efforts, and by the way, still are. I don't think that the governor came up with that response video right after the AG's report was released, where he was sitting behind a computer all by himself, you know, putting photos together and, and writing his own speech. I mean, obviously, he had some help. Sure. If, you know, who were those people? Were they on the taxpayer dollar uh, or were they hired? If they were hired, who was paying that bill? Was it was it the tax dollars? Was it his campaign? Um, you know, th- There's a concern here that people are still trying to protect them.
0: Yeah, such an important point. And remember, one of the rules—I I remember this now—as we go through it, as as the Me Too movement and earlier episodes of sexual harassment, uh, see something, say something was important. You shouldn't stay silent if you see a, a, a superior, you know, sexually harassing or physically inappropriately touching a subordinate. There were a lot of people that had to stay quiet for a long time for this amount of behavior to uh, have occurred. Do you would you like to see accountability not only for uh, Cuomo but for maybe the people around him as well?
1: yeah I don't think that they should get a free pass i mean I, and these are people who uh, I believe were committing wrongdoing in in various ways yeah I, I don't believe that the under i mean we're, we're talking here about the sexual harassment and abuse report, but you have the deadly nursing home order and cover right. up you have an investigation into his taxpayer funded staff helping to write his book you have the the orders of uh, COVID preferential testing for his family at private residence done by state health department officials and moving the samples to the front of the line. You have people complain, county executives upset that uh, they were being targeted and harassed and, and arms twisted uh, as it related to different aspects of responding to the pandemic and what resources to be, uh, available uh, th- there are a lot of allegations here where and, uh, and other investigations that are ongoing. And if we never hear anything about any of this stuff and no one gets held accountable for any of it, that's a whole other issue. I mean, I'm glad that this report came out, but this is the beginning of it, not the end.
0: Yeah, and competence is another issue that has now really come up. And you mentioned the nursing home scandal last time we had you on. We really talked a lot about that. There was a story the other day that you tweeted about that really shone, uh, shined a light on it. And I'm playing on words here because this governor bought uh, upwards of $100 million of lights to put on bridges. He was going to bedazzle bridges, right, with lights. And they're sitting in a warehouse getting dust. He wasted $106 million just to have pretty lights on a bridge. Do you think people are going to look more at the overall record of Andrew Cuomo now and, and, and judge him for the chief executive he was or wasn't?
1: Judging this governor by the entirety of his record, I I believe that there are a whole lot of other people who, when it comes time to actually cast a vote, and that's if Andrew Cuomo was able to make it to November 8, 2022, uh, that they are going to be thinking about their own breaking point. And they're going to be thinking about the cost of living, the erosion of public safety and not supporting law enforcement enough, the quality of their kids' education being adversely impacted, uh, their freedoms, liberties being targeted. Uh, a whole lot of restrictions on individual liberty during the pandemic that didn't pass basic common sense smell tests. If this governor is able to figure out how to miracle himself onto the ballot November 8, 2022, uh, I think that people are going to be casting their their vote, not just on the AG's report or some of these other scandals. I think people are going to be relating it to how their lives right now are, are worse, not better, because of the policies. That are in Albany empowered by this governor and that they don't feel like their state's going to be able to survive continued one-party Democrat rule uh, of, in many cases, uh, self-described socialists with outsized power.
0: Yeah. Speaking of power and and, uh, government control, you had some strong words yesterday after the mayor in New York City announced a sort of a vaccination-proof mandate for most indoor activities, things like uh, restaurants and others. Uh, you're, you're not a big fan of this approach, and I think you have a very different way of doing this. If you're the governor and this happened in New York City, uh, how would you have dealt with this situation yesterday?
1: No lockdowns, no vaccine mandates, no vaccine passports. I believe that if an individual does not want to get a vaccine, that is their personal choice. If they do want a vaccine, government has an important role to play in the studying of a vaccine and the approval process, the development and the distribution. There, there is a lot of uh, interweaving uh, of responsibilities between uh, public and, and private entities. Uh, but if somebody decides that they don't want to get the vaccine and it hasn't even been fully approved yet, it's under an emergency authorization right now and still being studied, government should not be mandating it. And you should not be required to provide your medical information to non-medical strangers in order to live a normal life, like going to the gym or going out to grab food and struggling small business owner barely surviving the pandemic. And you're telling that person who's really needs business that they can't allow a paying customer in the door because of their vaccination status, you're killing that business. So th- th- on so many different levels, so wrong. I would be approaching this very differently than what we're seeing right now, and it's one that is respecting individual individual rights. It's understanding that you know, government doesn't know best, and that government control and and having a society where uh, we. We don't seek the consent of the govern uh, any day other than election day it is just something I, I can't relate to. It's, uh, it, it's something I strongly disagree with, and I believe a lot of mistakes have been made with uh, certain policies that have infringed on how businesses operate and how individuals live their lives free or not.
0: Yeah. It is. This, this issue of freedom has become so focused by the COVID pandemic, it's going to be interesting. Last question. Obviously, you've served in the Army, Army Reserve, Lieutenant Colonel. You've watched this border thing play out. And of course, the first role of government is to protect the American people. You have these huge surges of not only illegal immigrants coming in, but illegal immigrants with clear COVID. Not, not in doubt And the border towns are talking about it. How big a security threat has the Biden administration created at the border? And what's the way to start unraveling? And obviously, the Biden administration itself isn't going to change course. It doesn't look like. How would you uh, recommend the country deal with this in the absence of action by Biden and, and Harris?
1: It's really hard to secure the border where the federal government is run by an administration that thinks far worse, not better. It's a full blown crisis at the border Uh, and it's caused by the policies, the statement of the vice president and others. It's a huge lack of leadership on their part, especially this vice president gets appointed into a position of overseeing the border and won't even go visit it. And the one time that the vice president went here to go check a box, she wasn't even close to the heart of the issue. Yeah. She was uh, a thousand miles away. Photo op land. Uh, so yeah, a yeah, concerned citizen somewhere else in this country who wants to do something about it. How do we make the crisis go away? That's, you could say that that's an impossible task when the federal government, every single day, is overpowering you with weakness.
0: It is a remarkable thing to see the abdication of the responsibility. And then you see, you know, people like Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis trying to send some local law enforcement to do something. But you're right. If the federal government doesn't fill the void on its land and on its control points, it, it, it becomes an intractable problem. It really is a remarkable thing. Congressman, we wish you luck. I got a lot going on this uh, summer and uh, we really appreciate the time you spent with us here today. And uh, we're going to be sure to get you back on soon when Congress gets back in the fall. You got it. It was great to be with you. You too, sir. Thanks a lot. All bye, right, bye. folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we're back, we're going to have, yep, yep, Ben Shapiro's joining us. Oh, you got a new book out. You're going to want to hear about it. We'll be right back after this message. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, a number one New York Times best-selling author, the editor and founder of The Daily Wire, and an all-around great uh, thought leader in America, Ben Shapiro, is joining us. Ben, welcome to the show for the first time. Hey, thanks for having me. You have an amazing book out, The Authoritarian Moment, How the Left Weaponized America's Institutions Against Dissent. Uh, it has caught fire instantly. People just love the the summary of what really happened in America that you've pulled out from all of these disparate moments. What inspired you to write the book? Well,
2: what inspired me to write the book was the, the kind of push in the aftermath, particularly of January 6th, uh, to suggest that America was in danger of an authoritarian revolution. And that danger chiefly came from the right. That it was basically a bunch of right-wing authoritarians who were about to overturn American democracy. Meanwhile, we had just watched a year of riots being cheered on by America's most powerful institutions. Uh, we were watching the Democratic Party in the aftermath of January 6th openly calling for the FCC to deplatform Fox News, for right. example, uh, and uh, and Amazon Web Services deplatforming Parler. And it just the juxtaposition, as it occurred to me, was just, kind of stunning and shocking because uh, most americans at this point when when they wake up in the morning and they think okay what what how does politics affect my day in a negative way very few of them are worried that american democracy is about to collapse into full-scale fascism that we're uh, on the verge of somebody at the top of government controlling your entire life what they are afraid of is the institutions they deal with on a regular basis excising them from the body politic whether it is the corporations that employ them or whether it is the media that, that try to supposedly inform them whether it is the, the sporting world, which is lecturing them on politics, or whether it's the scientific institutions telling them that they have no right to to dissent from the prevailing consensus on any issue—that's how most Americans feel, and, and this is what the polls show. That every single major political group in the United States feels uncomfortable speaking clearly about what they believe publicly, except for people who consider themselves strong liberals. And so, I, I was led to to you know write the book on that basis. That this is. Well, that what we really have here is a, a authoritarian moment uh, that is being captured by by certain institutions and used by certain institutions. Now it's bleeding up to government. I mean, you saw some aspects of this during the Obama administration sure. when he promised he wouldn't violate the Constitution by by uh, you know simply performing amnesty, and then he went ahead and did precisely that. This week, obviously, you had the uh, the specter of Joe Biden openly saying that what he was doing with the CDC moratorium was probably was probably unconstitutional in terms of uh, the moratorium. Well, did it anyways? Yeah, and then saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway. Um, yeah. You know, that that sort of stuff is is deeply disturbing. And the, the reaction to the supposed authoritarianism of, of the right from the left has been very powerful and very much institutionally based, as opposed to, you know, some of the authoritarian rhetoric we've heard from the right, which typically takes the form of dumb tweets that are then ignored by all the major institutions. Right.
0: When you look at the institutions, and you've done a good job of running through them, whether it's Hollywood, big media, uh, big government, um, there seems to be a a similarity in how they're trying to constrain or weaponize information or to constrain dissent or conservative thought. How did all of those institutions sort of align so closely that they all have the same sort of left-leaning agenda at once?
2: So uh, I think that one thing the the left has always understood is that in order to wield power, you really do have to take over institutions. The right tends to be a lot more decentralized in sort of its approach to life, but also its approach to politics. It's very individually based. It it thinks a lot less about how do we take over the commanding heights of an institution and then use that institution in order to leverage our, our perspectives into power. The left thinks like this all the time. And so you've seen this and every major institution, basically a renormalization process. Renormalization is a process where it only takes about 15, 20% of any group to be very intransigent and very aggressive um, and incremental in their approach. And everybody has to basically shut up in order to avoid conflict. And you see this mirrored across a wide variety of institutions. More lately, it's the corporate world. But if you go back to the 60s, obviously, it was much more directed at the universities. And so over the course of time, you've seen each and every institution sort of fall to this, this 20 percent of woke people or the woke coalition, uh, and and then maybe a 50 percent group in the middle who really don't want to be political and don't want to be involved in politics, but are cowed into silence. And they figure, okay, if I just give them this little thing they want. Maybe it'll stop bothering me, and then pretty soon the the, uh, the radicals are are in charge of all of the levers of power.
0: Yeah, twenty percent equals one hundred percent control. It's a remarkable that name, uh, that word renormalized really jumped out at me in the book because it shows up over and again. And once you begin to internalize what it means, you can look back over the ten years and you really see what it is that you've crystallized in, in this book. Um, I remember going through some of the early Open Society documents, and there is a focus on making friends in institutions: the FBI, the State Department, secretaries of state, local prosecutors, and they build they build their reality through having those relationships and having institutional connection. When you look at the problem now, if you're a conservative, the world doesn't look too pleasant a place for the future. What is the solution? What? How do you roll this toothpaste back in the tube? How do you equalize uh, the pressure given the upper hand that the left has taken over the last few years?
2: So I think that the, the best way to, to deal with this, is, there, there are a couple of options. One is that you fight back predominantly through competition, that you just launch alternative institutions because one of the things that the left has done is they've carved out a market uh, for the for the right. So we've been doing this in the media pretty successfully, obviously. You have your outlet, we have, we have our outlet at Daily Wire, and you can provide a, a successful alternative in that way. That becomes a lot more difficult when you're talking about giant institutions like social media that are right. incredibly dominant in the space, uh, or when you're talking about you know, corporate America, which heretofore was apolitical and now seems to be shifting wildly political. Like it takes a little bit of lead time to, to actually fight back against that sort of infrastructural advantage that, that the left has taken advantage of. And there, I, I say if renormalization works in one direction, you can renormalize, as in like bring us back to normal, in the other direction too. And that requires that that conservatives start to act collectively inside these institutions. If it takes 20% of, of a corporate workforce, in order to push forward a woke agenda, why not get 30% of the corporate workforce to say we're not gonna participate yeah. in the woke agenda. The math and works. Then people in the middle have, it, right, exactly. Yeah. And then people in the middle have a choice. They can either say, okay, you know what, we're, we don't even wanna be part of this fight, just hands off, go back to neutral. We, we, we're not interested in the politics, which is what mostly people on the right are seeking. They're not looking to make these institutions overtly right wing. Um, or they are, or, or they are going to, you know, side with the right, or they'll side with the left. And either way, you then have a pretty clear choice.
0: It is uh, remarkable that that strategy is really that is the blueprint. Do you see? And you talked about the Republican and conservative movement being more decentralized. Do you see a mindset, uh, the apparatuses that you need on the right to combat this, or are you disheartened that maybe the right isn't as organized and compass setting as it needs to be to win this war?
2: So I think that the right. Until now, basically tried to ignore it, and, and there, there was this feeling on the right, particularly with regard to the radicalism that we saw at universities, that this stuff was just going to blow through and be done. That yeah. people would go to college, they'd be radical, and then they would get into the workforce, start paying taxes, you know, turn Become into normal human beings, and leave the rest of us alone. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And yep. and and, not, and none of that happened. Instead, all these people just left college campuses, and they went into the institutions and changed the institutions in their own mold. Uh, yeah, I think that the left, however. It was smarter, I would say, 15 or 20 years ago than it is now. It seems like the left is so convinced of not only its own moral rectitude, but that but, but the art history is bending toward it, that they're pushing really, really fast right now. And the game of renormalization really does rely on incrementalism. And so once you blow through the incrementalism, once you, once you just say, listen, we're not going for from, we're not trying to get from point A to point B, we're trying to go from like A to Z. Right. So we're going to try to do this really, really fast. That suddenly gets the hackles up for all those people in the middle who were apathetic or who were thinking, OK, well, I don't have to make too much of a sacrifice to, you know, go to diversity training or something. It's a whole different thing to say, you know what we'd really like to do? We'd like to indoctrinate your children in the principle that America's institutions are rooted in racism, irrevocably so. And that the solution to that is to destroy all of America's institutions. And we're going to need you to, like, go along with that. Most Americans, are saying that's a far cry from we just want to hear about the niceness of other cultures at work. Right. And so I think as the left has gotten more confident, it's getting out over its skis more and more. And that is going to, to naturally create this backlash effect, which which you are seeing, by the way, with, with the, C- the anti-CRT movement, uh, particularly with regard to public schools.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt. There's an activism we haven't seen at the school board level in a long time. You talk a little bit about how advantageous COVID-19 was, particularly in the corporate world, but in many places, it exacerbated this effort to consolidate control, create authoritarianism. Uh, Was it just the perfect storm or was the left looking for a moment where they could seize it? How do you fit the COVID-19 into this timeline and evolution of authoritarianism that you've been talking about?
2: Now, COVID-19 emergencies have always provided people who love government activism with an excuse for government activism, whether you're talking about the Great Depression uh, or whether you're talking about people like LBJ declaring moral equivalence to war, things like the war on poverty. It's not you know, an actual war, but we're going to declare that it's a crisis so we can treat it as a war. The uh, COVID-19 has provided those with authoritarian tendencies an enormous amount of power, and they are really, really willing to give it up. I, mean, I keep pointing out the last several weeks that what we are watching right now by the admission of the people in, in government is a pandemic that still exists among the unvaccinated for the most part. These vaccines have been very durable with regard to the vaccinated. And every adult in the United States above the age of 12 has now the opportunity to go get the vaccine. And in fact, 70% of all Americans above the age of 18 are vaccinated and 90% of all Americans above the age of 65 are vaccinated, which means that normally this would be the end of the public policy considerations, right? We would now be at the point where everybody has access. What is the end point? But you're seeing that the left is arguing there is no endpoint. We must continue this forever. We must mask up. We must lock down. We must continue to maintain massive control over your life in every possible way up to and including telling people they no longer have to pay rent at their apartments, despite the fact that according to the Biden administration's own staff, the economy is now larger than it was before the pandemic started. So you know, th- that says to me, when people are making very clear that they're moving the goalposts then that does suggest to me that there are a lot of people out there who are interested much more in power than in solving a problem.
0: Yeah, and and uh, that that that's going to be the the debate that or the the drama that plays out in the next few months. Are we really going to solve the COVID-19 or are we looking for ways to extend it as a, as a crisis when in fact it isn't social media? uh, Do you try to fix Twitter? Is it your belief that through corporate pressure, you get Twitter to come back and treat conservatives and others on equal thing, or is competition and you know, whether it's Trump's platform, getter, whatever it's going to be. uh, How do you see the social media world, which is a big giant in this whole dynamic? uh, how, How does that get fixed in your mind?
2: So I I think that when it comes to social media, there's a very solid case that Section 230 should be changed. Section 230 has a catch-all provision that was designed to basically allow all of these social media companies free reign in in editing the comment sections and editing their platforms. Well, the problem is once you give them completely free reign, they start to look a lot like actual editorial boards, like The Daily Wire or The New York Times. Right. And Section 230 was never meant for that. Section 230 was... Originally, the idea for these platforms is that there were platforms that they didn't remove material. That was literally the the definition. And then there were a bunch of lawsuits filed because platforms started removing, for example, pornographic or spam material. And so Congress responded by saying you can remove the pornographic and spam material and anything, quote, unquote, otherwise objectionable. And that was used by the social media platforms in order to say, "Okay, well, now we can just get rid of anything. And not only that, and and our liability is is removed for, for getting rid of all that. We're not treated as a publisher would be for leaving things up and then not only that you started to see government governmental actors you know people in in the actual government and in, in the democratic party diane feinstein for example threatening social media that if they don't take down material then maybe their liability will be removed so you suddenly had that has been reversed on its head right Patient in the uh, yeah exactly i mean instead of this being a protection for free platforms instead it became a a threat to take away your liability protection unless you restrict material on these platforms which is a pretty amazing thing so if if that's going to be the way this plays out then it seems to me you get rid of the otherwise objectionable standard and instead it just is that if you want to remain a platform then we treat you like a phone line that can just remove porn and spam and that's yep. pretty much it
0: you just cut the wire and you're done yeah you can't I you mean, know, we had this happen yesterday to our reporter who by the way said a, a completely accurate thing the cdc says the vaccine's not for everybody. That's an actual direct quote that he put in his tweet, and he got censored for about you know six, eight hours until the CDC came out and said, no, that that statement's correct, and they remarkably they reversed, which is a rare moment in this uh, this time frame. but it's it's just amazing to see how many phone lines are being clipped every day for reasons that we wouldn't have imagined five years ago. Are you optimistic about the future, of America? or Are you pessimistic?
2: Um I'm you know optimistic that there will be blowback to the current moment, which is a really ugly moment. Uh, I'm pessimistic that in the absence of any sort of real shared values that the United States can survive as the tier two four has, I think that if the United States does move on to bigger and better things, that's going to be largely through the, the federalism process. You're going to start to see states basically say, you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone, uh, and the United States will look a lot more like the EU going forward 20, 30 years from now. Uh, than his look like the United States circa 1980, for example.
0: And is that the best case scenario for conservatives, you think, given all the way this has played out over 10 years?
2: Um. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I, I think it's, it's hard to see the United States fundamentally reorienting towards
0: some of the fundamental principles we all used to share. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Wow, what a moment. This is a fantastic book. I picked it up last night. I couldn't stop reading with two o'clock in the morning. I'm still going through it. It was fantastic, Ben. Uh, As you look out now, I just wanna ask you about one thing because you own a media site like I do and um, you're trying to make a difference in this space. The profession that you and I got into 10 years ago, 12 years ago, well, in my case, 30 years ago, um, how much has it changed and how shocking is the changes to you to see the sort of um, uh, performance that you see in the everyday media today?
2: What What is fascinating is a few things. One, the plethora of alternative news sources is great. Two, the recentralization of news distribution through like a couple of places, like the Facebook and the Twitter, is really, really dangerous and scary. You yeah. can see why the left is, is using that to bottleneck information. Now, it used to be that you had a list of bookmarks on the side of your, on the side of your browser and you would just go through and click That's them individually right. and go, go directly there. And now no one does that. Now oh. everybody does it through a feed. Well, the left has realized that if you restrict the feed, then you can restrict the traffic. And that's really, really scary. Uh, and, the, and the other thing is that the, the media have so obviously at this point come out of the closet. They've made a mockery of both themselves and the institutions they cover because we now have a two level, uh, almost a, a two layer distrust of institutions, a fundamental distrust of the institutions because so many people have botched it and have done a poor job. And then a media that lie about those institutions. So we get bad information covered via more bad information. Uh, and then people wonder why these institutions are, are lacking the sort of respect that they claim to, to be. You know, subjected to, uh, and they're, they're, there's a good reason for that. The media are awful at their jobs. They've they've been very partisan, obviously, and they are. Zeal- I mean, I, well, the thing that shocked me is that the press are now the, the most zealous uh, purveyors of pushes against free press. Like that's been a shocker to me. I didn't think that was going to be a thing. But but you see people like Kara Swisher at the New York Times, who spent right. pretty much every waking moment trying to cudgel social media into cutting down access to particular media sites. It's, it's pretty
0: unbelievable. I, 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 it's a campaign. Yeah. No, it, oh, yeah.
2: No question.
0: It's unbelievable. Uh, Gina Carano said something in the back cover of your book that really struck me, which is you're one of the few standouts today that has, from the beginning, because you, you were one of the first victims of uh, cancel code. I remember when they tried to cancel one of your speeches. I was maybe the editor of the Washington Times. I'm like, wow, they're trying to cancel speech on college campus. What the heck? But you have really dug down. Why aren't there more warriors at you know with the, with the fervor and the, um, the uh, intellectual honesty to keep fighting this? Do you feel lonely some days that there isn't enough pushback uh, for those who should believe in the America that we were raised in?
2: No, you know, I think there is a lot of pushback. I don't, I don't want to pretend like I'm the only one out there on the line. I think there are tons and tons of people who are. I'm privileged that I get to do it for a living every day because there are a lot of people who have to put food on the table for their families, yeah, but they're an accountant. Right? And it's like, okay, that, so I'm, I'm lucky. I get to say what I want. Uh, m- my disappointment lies in people on the center or center left who don't stand with the woke, but are happy to stand aside. I am I'm, I'm disappointed in those folks. And I think that if there is going to be a future for us as a country, the people who, for example, wrote the Harper's Weekly letter are going to have to stop treating people on the right as not part of the conversation, as anathema. Like, if you're going to write a letter talking about how cancel culture is bad, you can't just mean it's bad for you only. Right? You have to mean that it's actually bad overall. Right. Yeah, <laughs> can't it applies to people who wildly disagree with. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's an amazing, amazing point to make. It really is. Uh, ben, this is an amazing book. Folks, if you haven't got it, you got to grab it. It is an amazing read. The authoritarian, the authoritarian moment, how the left weaponized America's institutions against dissent. A great read. A lot of profound thoughts. An incredible uh, argument against cancer culture in America. Ben, congratulations on yet another great book. And uh, look forward to getting you on the show again.
2: Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks. Have a good rest of the day. All right, thanks folks. So much. We're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. Hey, folks, can your IRA or 401k stand up to the next financial crisis that our top economists are saying is right at our doorstep? By allocating a percentage of your retirement into physical gold and silver with a tax-free rollover, you can diversify and safeguard your holdings from a turbulent market and economic downturns. All you got to do is put your IRA back on the gold standard. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition and another week of John Solomon Reports. What a strong way to finish. Congressman Zeldin, Ben Shapiro, back-to-back, who can complain about that? I hope you enjoyed both of them. A lot of food to thought. I want to mention or highlight something that the congressman said, because when you look at Andrew Cuomo's response to the really devastating charges leveled in this report, remember, they are allegations and charges, but the proof and evidence and testimony are pretty strong. And you see... First, how he was trying to crush his dissenters before, the accusers, using people like Facebook and the head of a gay rights group and others to destroy the reputations or the capability of these women to defend themselves against this all-powerful government. But how he's reacting now is really fascinating. I just want to point out one thing, because I really thought it was the headline of the interview. Lee Zeldin says, you ready for this? It's very important. Andrew Cuomo is acting like he doesn't think he's going to be impeached, so he is going to continue to smear his accusers and fight. That's an interesting thing. I wonder if that dynamic changes. If the word that Democrats and Republicans speak is one, one voice in Albany, would Andrew Cuomo fold his cards? That's a very interesting story, a very interesting concept. And who gave it to us? Congressman Lee Zeldin. That's why we have great guests on the show. And again, big thanks to Ben Shapiro for making time and his busy schedule Great book, great interview, and he is speaking the truth when he talks about this censorship cancel culture crushing of any dissent. If there is a small plurality, America, 15, 20% of super liberals who are trying to crush anyone who disagrees about any aspect, and they're using media, science, education, corporate America, government institutions, Hollywood, to threaten us, to cancel us, to erase us, to not only mask us, but mug us, Ben explains it. I thought he did a great job explaining the antidote to it as well. Very lucky to have it. All right, guess what? It's Friday afternoon, and you know what I've been thinking? I've been sitting here as I'm finishing up this podcast thinking, you know what I could go for? a really juicy steak. Yeah, you know the type of steak I'm talking about. The ones that only come from our good friends at Kansas City Steaks Company. We are so lucky. They have been a supporter of this show for so long. And I wanna tell you what they're doing in August. Our last flings of summer coming up. Well, guess what? Maybe you've already sent the kids back. That's okay, you can still celebrate with a steak on the back porch on your grill. Bring the grill house to your house. That's one of the things I would like to say about this. Well, right now, if you visit KansasCitySteaks.com, you can get 15% off your order. 15% off your order. And free shipping with the code JUSTNEWS. You know how to use that code. We use it everywhere. 15% off. Just by putting Just News, all one word, in the box, when you're checking out, you're going to get free shipping and 15% off. I'll guarantee you, you're going to get more meat and a better value through this than anything at the food store. Man, I went to the food store the other day. Holy moly, steak and meat prices were off the charts. I'm like, I used to pay half for this. This is crazy. Well, guess what? The good friends at Kansas City Steaks... They're keeping their prices reasonable. And then they're giving you, Just the News, John Solomon Reports fans, an incredible opportunity to buy a classic steak cut, USDA Prime, you know all the specialty cuts, the side dishes, you name it. You put in the go Just News and you get 15% off in free shipping. That is a savings. You know what? When I get off, that's the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to order my steaks because I'm darn hungry. Filet mignon, anyone? Kansas City Strip? <laughs> they sound good, don't they? All right, well... Remember, you can bring the steakhouse to your house real simply by going to KansasCitySteaks.com right now. Pick your favorite package. They got all sorts of different opportunities. And then put in the code JUSTNEWS. You're going to get 15% off. That's $15 for every $100 you spend. That's a big savings. Not many people give you 15% off. And you're getting free shipping. And remember, it shows up frozen right at your door. You stick it in your freezer, in your refrigerator. You get them cooked when you want them. They're ready on the ready. You don't have to go to the store again don't have to go to the restaurant you can make your backyard barbecue your deck your kitchen table your home restaurant with the best steaks you'll ever taste all right that's it we're signing off for the week god bless you god bless everyone in america and a hint monday morning when you're waking up and you're getting that first coffee going i gotta go to work i don't want to do it go immediately to justthenews.com i promise you There is going to be a story about election integrity that will knock your socks off. The sort of thing backed up by ballot images, ballot documents, Freedom of Information Act records. You're going to get it all from us, from Just the News. It's an exclusive report. I've been working on this for days, along with my other good colleagues. And on Monday, we're going to drop this. It's big. It's huge. It's impactful. It's going to raise a question about, is our system of elections as good as we think it is, or is there the potential for human discretion to make changes that you and I would gulp and gasp at? Well, we'll let you decide. We're going to give you the facts. You make up your mind. All right, folks, that wraps it up for the weekend. God bless you, and God bless this amazing country. Thank you for listening all week. Thank you for reading justthenews.com. Keep doing it on the weekends, and we'll be back Monday after you've had that delicious Kansas City steak. You'll feel ready for your next news fix. And we'll be here to deliver, probably with a big election jaw-dropper. Be ready on Monday. All right. Have a great weekend, everyone. Hey, folks, can your IRA or 401K stand up to the next financial crisis that our top economists are saying is right at our doorstep? By allocating a percentage of your retirement into physical gold and silver with a tax-free rollover, you can diversify and safeguard your holdings from a turbulent market and economic downturns. All you got to do is put your IRA back on the gold standard. G-O-L-D, GOLD, that's 800-200-GOLD and find out how you can add precious metals to your IRA. One more time, let me give you the number. It's 800-200-4653, 800-200-4653, GOLD, or visit them at genesisgoldgroup.com. Genesis Gold, welcome to the John Solomon, Just the News family. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia Collusion, Hunter Biden,